Good morning. Friday the 22nd of July in the UK. We've just got over a heat wave. However, my co-host didn't think it was hot enough and he's actually abroad. Good morning, Alistair. How are you? Yeah, morning, Ben. Uh, very well, thanks. It's a pretty pleasant 32, roughly, uh, and has been every day. Feels hot, probably a few degrees down on the UK a couple of days ago. Working, working from Menorca. I wouldn't say working from Working home, from Menorca. Menorca, yes. Our that's, Spanish that's office. <laughs> Once how, a year, Ben. How, how was the couple of days of heatwave, Alistair? How did your customers cope? Did many of your clients contact you uh, regarding the, what to do? We've had a conversation or two, but generally speaking, I think most most employers have seen so much on the news in the last week or so, and the, it was getting quite sort of uh, frantic, wasn't it? The talking up of all the disruption, not just the dangers of it, but the disruption it was going to cause. Um, so a lot of a lot of uh, employers had made the decision where possible that people could work from home. Depends what you do for a living, doesn't it? If you if you're office working and if you've been spending much of your time in the last couple of years during multiple lockdowns you've become quite adept to home working in that situation it was a no-brainer if you if you were able to work from home then employers were saying go go work from home be sensible and certainly that's what i did i said a good week in advance um, to staff as they worried about uh, passing out in the extreme heat of the e-innovation center well, just to let you know, uh, it's cooled down a lot in the UK. Uh, however, so we are having yeah, we're having petrol protests, so the motorways aren't moving. Of course, the last the schools have all broke up today, so it's it's chaos. So uh, do enjoy your time. Oh, in just North in time for the holidays. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Well. Well. Mercifully, none of that happening here in Menorca. <laughs> well, just uh, that's quite a nice link actually, because our guest today, Christopher Golby from Lumian. Uh, who works on company culture. And I think we've just been through a bit of a company culture with Alistair there. How's things with you? How, how was the week been? It's probably a good start in regards, you know, what have your clients said to you about the culture, about working from home, et cetera. And tell us about your business. I feel like I've been consistently melting across the week. <laughs> it's been, been entertaining, hasn't it? This, the kind of slow trudge of Monday and Tuesday. Unanticipated. I actually, my my father lives over in um, over in Thailand, actually, and I thought when I called him and told him it was forty one, he'd tell me it was hotter there. But I actually went to look up what the top temperature ever recorded in Thailand was, and it was forty four. We were three degrees off the hottest temperature ever recorded in Thailand. Yeah, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to yeah, the extent of it, right? And between tarmac melting and everything going on, entertaining a couple of days and. Apparently, we're going to get another couple of days of it sometime soon as well, by the looks of things. But I guess we'll see. It affects things quite a bit, and communication needs to happen with staff around that, and flexibility, and I suppose it's, it's an interesting time at the moment, isn't it? We're, we're, we're in unprecedented times for culture and culture change. And I think companies who are not looking at it at the moment are going to struggle. I think we, we really need to be digging into it as a not just as individual organisations, but as a country as well, and looking at how we handle this side of things. I mean, the, the pandemic's just forced through some things that were, were already known, I suppose, and kind of lying under there, you know, between hybrid working, between rising cost of living, between changes of culture, uh, the new generations coming through, wanting different lifestyles, different interactions with companies. Companies who aren't looking at this and seeing it as a way forwards, culture change 
they're going to they're going to struggle primarily. I read something this morning. People focus on strategy, but strategy is a vehicle that's used with inside culture. If your culture is not correct, it doesn't matter what strategy you have. There's an inability to execute it. And you know, Peter Drucker's famous quote is "Culture is strategy for breakfast." And if there's one thing you're going to focus on at the moment, and one thing that needs to be right, it's the culture of any organisation. What is the culture? What do you see as culture, Christopher? So I suppose what's culture? If you put two people together in a room, you've got a culture. It's it's the way people behave. Quite simply put, that culture is there. Whether the culture is designed, or whether the culture is just created by itself, um, then it, it exists. It exists in any interaction between people. Whether you put the same two people together in a room at a different time, a different culture will exist, but different people together in the same premise, you know, different cultures will exist. It's always the same. It's up to a business who wants to define their goals to be able to coordinate that culture. People are able to contribute in a similar way. You know, there's the infamous NASA statement, right, about if you asked someone mopping the floor in NASA in the 70s what they're up to, they'd say, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, not that they're mopping the floor because they buy into that culture of the organization and the combined goals. And at the, at the end of the day, every organization consists of various sets of small teams. And though each of those teams will have their intricate own behavior within them and how they operate and how they behave and they'll be slightly differently. And you can't come in and tell every single group and every individual how exactly to behave. You can put frameworks in place for the outline of that culture that allows businesses to achieve, um, achieve their goals, drive towards their vision, their mission. And I think, yeah, for companies, it's about defining the scope of that and having that correct and having it publicised. Culture itself is just about the way those teams operate within that. Is it fair to say that culture is profit? If you get the right people together in the right place, it can be quite dynamic and can increase profit and profitability within a business. But can it increase profit? Absolutely. Fundamentally, a business is a group of people. You need to have a group of people within it and there's a culture within it and that culture is toxic. Your bottom line is the one that's going to suffer. I, th I think inherently the problem has always been is that if you're looking at the marketing of the company, if you're looking at the sales, if you're looking at the finance, you have those numerical quantified figures there and you have a start and an end goal to it. But with culture, you don't necessarily have that. So how, so how do you understand that and convert it into numerical terms? I, I always talk about culture being like a piece of music more so than a linear process. So it's a creative process that's constantly ongoing and constantly being improved. And if you start to look at it in that way, then you can start to say, well, rather than it being I'm trying to get to X end goal, it should be constant improvement. And if you're constantly trying to improve it, productivity will increase, efficiency will increase, and, and hence your bottom line will be sorted. The key then is people now working from home, working in the office, a culture can be generated a lot easier than previously. You don't have to put people together to create the negative culture, do you? There's, there's an interesting um, theory around the five whys that if you ask why you know in a, in a childlike manner why is that give an answer why give an answer why uh, eventually in company processes you tend to end up at an operational process or something that's going wrong within it uh, and, uh, and often if that's going wrong and things aren't communicated they're not communicated because the culture is not there in order to achieve that communication and so you can look like you've got more bad eggs than you possibly have within the workforce and i think then that toxic culture can spiral and so if, if you've got the right combination of processes in place, along with the right defined culture of how to behave, then you're less likely to have those issues as a result. But if they do flag up, you're more aware of why and how they're flagged up and have the abilities to, to change.
Where does the culture start? Culture starts with the CEO, top level yeah. has to be senior management Thank downwards. So thank God they, you said that. <laughs> they drive it downwards, obviously. But it, that's just I do think though the mistake that's often made is because we hear that phrase all the time, you know, the CEO defines culture. And it and you know, particularly startups and tech companies, it, it, it's it's almost an extension of yourself, that culture it comes from the founders of the organization. I think too many people think that means you have to dictate how everybody else behaves. Whereas culture comes about naturally. It's not about dictating about exactly how people behave. It's about coordinating and allowing the group to begin to form its own cohesiveness and be able to form its own way of operating. And it's up to the CEO to form the frameworks of how that operates. So it's about standing in the background, creating the frameworks rather than dictating to people how to operate. Well, I mean, you only have to look at school and education. You know, there's a culture created within a school. Of course, that then does create young people's minds as to what is acceptable and unacceptable. And if you look at entrepreneurs now, a lot of them left school at early age. Now, it might be different now. I'm talking a few years ago, but, you know, Anna Sugar left school. Peter yep. Jones, you know, a lot of the dragons that, that have come through left school before their exams. They, they just didn't like the education system because it did kill flair. There's no doubt about that. It killed a lot of people mm. with flair. Uh, and of course, that's another culture that, that, that you know they went and created their own. So, so that's quite brave of them. I mean, what, what, one person that certainly creates a culture within this business and, and, and has had staff for many, many years uh, working alongside him, of course, is, is Mr. Hobbs himself. Alistair, uh, what's your take on culture and how do you create yours? You know, the culture of my office, I'd like to think, is quite laid back, not uh, one which is too judgmental. You know, I just want people to quite enjoy coming to work. Um, you do see in larger companies where culture can become quite toxic. Lack of real, I suppose, communication is the is usually the biggest um, biggest barrier to improving that. It's difficult to measure. I think a lot of employers, you know, you look at experiences I've had in, you know, in large professional partnerships, for example. You know, you've got different layers of communication. You've got different layers of people. Um, speaking to each other and not necessarily communicating between the layers adequately or frequently enough. And there's, a, there's maybe a degree of lack of trust there as well. But it all stems from communication, in my own experience. Yeah, encouraging employees to, to be more open, provided, of course, they've got something constructive to say and they're not just sounding off. Because, again, you, you always get some who can't help but to have something to say and can often be a bit destructive a bit destructive in their approach themselves. So I think really communication uh, is, is critical in companies such as ours. You want people to speak to you, but also be constructive in how they do it. And I think that we've, what we have seen, of course, is tools to get developed in recent years, whether it's been traditional kind of 360 appraisal systems or um, you know, platforms where there's been employee engagement surveys, employers are starting to capture data and integrate that into day-to-day work day-to-day life so which is certainly what we've been interested in and one of the things i wanted chris to to explain to to uh, to yourself ben and to the podcast what what um, what we can do to improve that culture by starting with identifying what the people's issues are uh, and identify what's working and what maybe isn't there's two examples I've got. One, Alice, I've known you for many years. You've got very loyal people attached to yourself and your business. Uh, so you've, you've obviously created a culture whenever I come in, it's warm, welcoming. 
Uh, everybody seems to, to, to know what, you know, the role and, and the transition is very genuine. I've worked in other businesses that uh, the culture is poor. And a lot of it is due to communication. And a lot of it is due to stubbornness and unwilling to change from the top. Um, and, and it's back to, to what, what you said, Chris, is that a lot of people think they know everything. And, and a, a good business owner embraces everybody else and takes their uh, opinions on board. There's nothing wrong with every one of them, but certainly change. You know, for example, if, if the business isn't working and they're not willing to change and yet you've got employees who are, should we say, of the generation of digital are telling them and they don't change, that's going to create a, a negative culture, surely. I come from a background of looking at how to introduce technologies into the NHS and I've been involved in changes in care pathways and pockets like that. And, and when you look at things, you look at behaviours and how people operate within the workplace. And I think we always use something called a mixed methods approach which is either the quantitative and the qualitative coming into play. And I don't think businesses think enough about this. So if you don't have the quantitative overlying data picture of an organization, then you miss the higher level picture. However, if you don't have the deep line qualitative data, you miss the detail of what's going on and run the risk of just copying other organizations. And so you need the combination of the two in order to really understand what's going on. You know, we run focus groups in organizations. We offer these out to organizations for free to come in and have a look at. And, you know, someone will come out and run them. And often they reveal, you know, several things in one very small area of well-being in a company, of well-being and culture. Then the company begins to realize, actually, we could, we could dig into this. But then they end up down a rabbit hole where there's hundreds and hundreds of different areas you can focus on and look at. So you need to get that mix right of looking at the higher level data side of things and then driving down into the early level qualitative with employees. So we, we actually look at using well-being as a measure of culture because inherently, if your culture is bad, the first thing that will be effective is the well-being of the staff within that culture. And so we use the different areas of well-being to identify where there are cultural problems and then we run the qualitative focus groups to really understand and drive that right environment within it. So I, th I think you need the combination of the two, really, that quantitative high-level data and that low-level qualitative data to get a real understanding of what's happening across a workplace. And I think not enough businesses think about it in that way, that you need both and not one or the other. Hence some stubbornness from, from people that run businesses. <laughs> well, there's never been a bigger change as that. You know, the digital age was coming. It's been covered for many years, but COVID forced it through a lot quicker than people thought it was going to go. Uh, and unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, people running businesses that haven't changed. It's the only thing I think of that's changed yeah. dramatically. I mean, there's a lot of things changed dramatically, but within businesses and adaptation. And if you don't adapt in business, you die. I think it's as simple as that. I don't think there's any standing still. Uh, you, you obviously go in and work with businesses and, and, and look at the culture from a, an outside point of view, a fresh pair of eyes. What's the, uh, the the certain things that you go and look for straight away? That, that a couple of perhaps you can give away a couple of easy wins for businesses then that, that you then can go and work with them on. We offer out free focus groups to get into businesses and get them talking. And the reason we do that as a first point of call, it's it's a bit like a chicken and an egg situation. So it's difficult to know where an exact starting point. And as I say, cultures like music. So where where do you get going? Where do you fit that starting point in? But the first point we tend to operate to get it kicking is to get the staff talking to each other about the problems and not dictating from a higher level down. So this is about beginning to construct that framework. 
the first thing people often do is they'll go right we need to define culture so they you know you head over to google look up some frameworks and ways of operations ways other people do culture but as i said previously culture's defined by the people who are in it if you put two people together in a room you have a culture so the first thing to do is to get those constructs and those frameworks so they're not frameworks that just dictate how people behave get a framework in place that allows people to start talking to each other about what's needed within the workplace and find out what's needed from the ground up and put those feedback mechanisms into place and put those structures into place and start understanding the qualitative and then you can build up to the higher level quantitative rather than going the other way around um and i think yeah the top tips would be just to get people starting to talk about it who are on the ground experiencing it um you can head over to lumion.io um and there i think a pop-up will pop up anyway to tell you about the focus groups um or you can get in contact with us or you can email me it's just chris at lumion.io feel free to drop me across an email if you're interested now we can't talk about company culture without considering the party culture that was in diamond street for a few years <laughs> previous can we uh, alistair <laughs> what would you make of a party culture such as that and how do you see the culture changing down at that certain address in london over the next few well, weeks you know what ben i mean i i i've tried to keep politics and business kind of separate my own take on it was a culture of chaos developed there which an element of which was intentional probably to help with creativity on the one hand and, and a sense of team play teamwork and, and, and good morale in what would have been an exceptionally difficult bunker kind of mentality going on you know i think very very difficult times 24 7. i think it's a you know as a, as a workplace um lots of comings and goings people working together picking up covid going home spending a week or so ill going back tired worn out back at it personally was the overview well what was the problem with a 20 minute bit of birthday cake and a, to somebody who just got out of hospital and had been touch and go for a few days and I, I have a degree of sympathy for him i mean i didn't work for him but i have to say i think it was a party gate was an awful witch hunt in many respects but there seemed to be two quite distinct camps not many people in the middle and i for me, as somebody who wasn't a Brexiteer uh, and didn't vote for him, I actually found myself being somewhat sorry for him, except I think what it did show was um, a lack of attention to detail, maybe, and not really having a, enough of a finger on the pulse of the country when, you know, some of it was going on. I, I don't know, difficult one, really, Ben. I still have difficulty to, to deciding what was the difference between party gate and beer gate except maybe different kind of bubbles i couldn't really see much difference except you have the metropolitan police investigating one and you have the derbyshire police from the other i don't really know what the detail and the difference is and why one why one leader should be a liar and deliberately misleading as opposed to the other who just seems to have interpreted the law a bit better, which you might expect from a QC. I don't know. It's a mystery, Ben. And I think it's a, I suppose, if we're, if we're grateful for anything, it's that maybe you know, we can now move on from that. But it's interesting to read that there's quite a lot of Tory party members who want a third alternative on their ballot paper. And that is 
Boris stays, you know, which I find interesting. He ha he is a personality, whether you like him or not. And what seems to be behind is less of a personality, probably suits the opposition better. If only they yeah. had any policies. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's another conversation. So we don't want to get into politics. It's more about the culture. Maybe, well, that fact maybe, they're both, maybe both sides can get back to talking about policy and not, uh, and not the cult of personality. As they were saying the comments, here, here. Um, on the base of that, Chris, I don't know what you're doing this afternoon. I'm going down where Alistair's based. We've got some champagne down there. And that's the culture that that officer's created. He's not there, so we can spend what we want on his card. <laughs> About two o'clock, Chris, so good. Don't <laughs> yeah. that's been fascinating. Chris, there's a lot more to talk to you about. That's been a great start. Hope people get in touch with you. Hope that you understand the culture they create. Uh, thank you for your time today. That's great. Alistair, we'll see you back in September, I think. I think you're out there for another month, aren't you? Well, I am. Um, I'm here for... About four weeks still, Ben. We only landed a couple of days ago. So I'm getting into the swing of work-life balance again. Excellent. It's nice not to be spending a lot of time in the car. Who knows? I might even get to read a bit. Excellent. Yeah, but it'd be policies and new HR information, unfortunately, Alistair, not books. So uh, yeah. on, on that note, that's the end of this today's podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ben.